90% of the book of Job is this pondering, this questioning about what is going on. You know the story by now as we have been considering this, this now being the third Sunday in this sermon series. Job basically loses everything. His estate is gone. All that he owned is taken. His children, their lives claimed, and even his own health, which has left him in a sad state of unrest. Friends of Job's come and seek to give him advice. And for 30 chapters, we receive this dialogue of their advice and Job's response. It is in that dialogue that we begin to detect the nature of where Job is and understand a little more deeply what the nature of this book is about. They, as do we, want the good guy to win. Now, it would have been their prayer, their wish for Job, that he would be one of those good guys. You see how their logic goes. But because he is suffering in such a severe way, it is evidence to them that obviously there is something that Job needs to be more penitent about and get correct with God. Now, this way of thinking, you don't have to look very far in the Bible to find it open and begin reading. And by the time you're well into the book of Deuteronomy, you meet with this kind of logic. That is that God blesses those who are good and curses those who are bad. That is one way of thinking. It is not a way of looking at the entirety of the scripture, I do not believe. And in fact, in this book in particular, these forms of logic are challenged. Our logic is that God will bless those who are good and punish those who are bad. But the truth is that we live in a world where even we will acknowledge that sometimes bad things happen for no good reason. You look no further than this recent hurricane that came in on the Gulf Coast. And about the number of persons, the list continues to grow of those that lost their lives but the thousands that lost their homes and their livelihood in the midst of this storm. I read just in the past couple of days that the list continues to be added to those that are attributed to Hurricane Michael for one of the relief workers, a firefighter who was helping to clear a home of a family that had suffered there much damage had a tree to fall on him and he died. Now this is a relief worker 
What was it that he had done that was wrong that would deserve death like that? Now, some of you may be saying, well, the way my wheels work in my head, it may be that he'd done something else somewhere else and that God saw to it that he was punished for his wrongs. If this is the way in which you think, let me raise the question, is that the way it always works? Think a little harder on this. Is God in the business of just punishing those who do wrong deeds? If it is an evidence that someone is suffering, it would only be logical then by deduction that something had gone wrong in their relationship with God. When we moved to Warner Robins, we encountered such a sad situation. A number of years ago, there was a young family that was a part of the Trinity United Methodist Church that I was serving. A young father with his older son was in the backyard as he tinkered with the lawnmower, a father-son kind of project, the boy, I think a sixth grader, a limb fell out of the tree directly above them. It only grazed the edge of the father's shoulder, but it landed directly on that young boy and killed him. And his name was Christian, (laughs) that young boy's name. He was being raised in a home that directed him toward Christ. It's all to it that he was in church and involved in youth. Was there anything in this young boy's life that could be explained as being deserving of death? Oh, I tell you, it raises questions. For those of us who are feeble in our faith, the search for the answer, why? Why did this have to occur? These are the questions that Job is raising in regard to himself and his own situation, his family in particular. Why? And in the previous chapters, in his response to those friends who laid out the argument, he kept saying to them, but I have done nothing wrong. I am a person of integrity. Even when he goes before God, he is stating this. When I get into his kingdom, I'm going to ask him myself face to face, what is it that I have done? For I have done nothing. Here in this passage, there is a sense in which God is beginning to help Job think. He asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And if you read through the entirety of these next two chapters, you get a sense of this tour of the cosmos upon which Job is being led. For God asks him, who shut in the sea with the doors and burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds, were you there? Did you create the morning? 
Did you create the dawn? Were you around when the springs poured forth from the earth and formed the seas? Were you there when light took its dwelling place? Were you there with the storehouses of snow when the mountains were covered? Are the channels creating the rivers with the torrents of rain that cut their way across the earth? What about the waters in those frozen tundras that are frozen, hard as stone? Do you understand how all this happens? He goes on with Job. I particularly like the 31st verse of the 38th chapter where it says, can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? If any of you have been out in the early morning hours, you'll realize that these two constellations are making themselves very known these days in the clear skies of the morning. This morning I walked out and I saw Orion just as clear as could be and Pleiades just as north. They're looking at the same constellations as these ancient ancestors of ours is a miracle in and of itself to see that they looked upon the same images in the sky. Is Job the one that put all of this in place? God is asking, did you establish all of this? Did you make the clouds? Did you make the lightning? Did you create the lion that cares for his cubs but then seeks his prey. Did you so create the raven who mounts and calls out his call? Did you know when the mountain goat would give birth or the wild ass would go free or the wild ox, the ostrich's wings flap wildly, is that something that you put together? And the list goes on as God is putting before Job something that perhaps he had not really considered in full. And Job is silenced as he should be by what God is saying. Maybe you've been silenced before too when you have stood in awe and examined some little corner of God's creation? Have you ever looked at the vista of a mountain landscape and said to yourself, how can anyone see this and not believe? Or have you stood on the shore with the waves lapping at your feet as the morning sun began to pierce the sky and you've thought it if you've not said it out loud. How could anyone see this and not believe? Truly you have seen in all exploration this beautiful sense of God's presence that you were silenced by the greatness of God's power. Homer Taylor a dear friend of ours at that same church in Warner Robins loved Purple Martins. He's 98 years old now, an amazing soul that continues to live on. I would go over and visit him and he would, and I would walk into his backyard and he would point up 
and show me the gourds into which the martins were flying. And he was so attentive to them, making sure that he put the right things out for them to eat and the right place to stay. But he was, he was also interested far beyond what I had imagined anybody would. He had rigged his martin gourds up so that he could crank them down to the ground and look in the little holes and count the chicks that were hatching there. And then he would count the numbers and he would post those online at the Purple Martin Association. I bet you didn't even know there was such a thing, right? <laughs> they keep up with how these birds move and where they live. And Homer loves all of what that means. I was so taken with it that I wanted gourds in my yard, but there wasn't place for gourds in my yard. And so I thought, well, maybe there's room for gourds down in Broxton where Sue's mama and daddy lived. And when I mentioned it, they said, yeah, we're interested in that. And I mentioned it to Homer. He said, we will make that happen. And sure enough, there are gourds to this day down there in Broxton in their backyard. There formed such a close bond between Sue's parents, especially Sue's mother and Homer Taylor, that on their coming to visit us, that we went over to visit Homer. And we were standing in his backyard one evening when those martins were coming into the gourds. And it was just such a beautiful sight. Have you ever seen them fly? It's just an amazing thing to see martins fly. And Sue's parents and Sue and I were there and Homer was there. And then the sky began to fill with birds. And I said, look at all of the Martins. And Homer said, no, something else is going on here. And all of a sudden, these birds by the hundreds began to form themselves in this whirlwind of a circle directly above us. And Homer looked at me and he said, those are not Martins, those are swallows. And they began to spin themselves almost in a tornado just above our heads. For at least two minutes, they were circling directly over us. And Homer shook his head and said, I've never seen anything like this. And when they made their exit, we were speechless. We were in awe. I never expect to see that again. But God made himself present, very present in that moment. Oh, Job had tried to think this through. And in fact, if you look earlier, these were not new thoughts to Job. In chapter nine, as he's responding to one of his friends, who had spoken to him in trying to figure out who was the culprit of all of this bad that was going on. Job says in reflection on who God is, he is wise in heart. He also says he who removes mountains and they do not know it. And when he overturns them in anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun, who seals up the stars. This wasn't new thinking for Job. The truth was that he had it very well in his head. He had it in his brain. 
This was thinking that was logical for him. Just not in the very same way. These were brain equations for Job. It is not unlike you and I when without thinking about what we are saying, we repeat that affirmation of faith and we speak the words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, The third day he rose from the dead and speaking these words from our minds and not our hearts is exactly what Job was doing. Now we make attempts at creating awe. The church, it's the bane of the existence of the church to spend a little bit more money in order to build a higher cathedral. Some of you have taken trips through Europe and you've seen the evidence of those beautiful structures. You walk inside of them and you are awed by the majesty and the vision of those that worked for hundreds of years in order to create that beauty. And here in our native land, you enter into sanctuaries of this nature. Even here at Pippin Park, I am awed at this space that was created just over 60 years ago. And how I love this space. And yet it pales. It too, like all the cathedrals and temples, pale in comparison to the nature of God's greatness. Just think about the skies above us. Just think about the universe that is a part of his creative touch. Here in this passage, when God speaks, it's not so much to put Job in his place. And I appreciate Sandy and her reading of it that she did not hawk it over Job this day because she spoke simply of the knowledge of God being shared graciously with Job. It is not to put Job in his place But nevertheless, it most certainly silences him. It is a gift to Job because Job doesn't know how to be silent. Have you ever been around somebody that doesn't know how to be silent? (laughs) Psalm 48 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. And these are good words of instruction because we are uncomfortable with silence. Most of us, even those who are quiet among us, find ways in which to fill the void. We leave the TV on, turn the radio on, get online, do a little surfing on Facebook. We got to keep something going, you know. Keep our mind active and engaged because silence frustrates us. Even at its core, it has the power to scare us because we don't know what to do with it. The noise of life buries us in information. We are afflicted with our own chatter, listening sadly 
only to our own logic. But silence can be that sacred space in which we follow God and that we are present to God and that he is present to us. God seeks to lead Job towards something other than just thinking, thinking, thinking right. God seeks to lead Job into right relationship. I was setting up for communion on Wednesday night just a couple of weeks ago. We have communion at 5.15 in our chapel every Wednesday night. If you haven't come to that, I want to encourage you to be a part of it. It only lasts about 15 minutes and then we move over to open table, the Wednesday supper in our fellowship hall. But I see it as a beginning place for all of that fellowship. I was running late in getting communion together and ready and I raced into the chapel uh, through the entryway and was up at the table and was going to race out of the room in order to get the chalice and the pattern upon which we place the bread. And I almost stepped on somebody who was on the floor there. And I thought, good gracious, um, do you know what a precious place the chapel is? Word has gotten around and it should never change that that building is open 24-7, 24-7. I tell you, the students come in at all kinds of hours in order to seek quietness and prayer there. This young student was laid out prostrate on the floor reading her Bible deep in prayer and I just about stepped on her. And I looked at her as she looked at me and I said, I am so sorry, I did not realize that you were here. And she said, that's okay. And I said, we are about to have a communion service and would love to have you join us. And she said, well, thank you. But, and I could tell she was making excuses because she knew and I knew that I had just interrupted her silence with God. And so she exited the building in order to continue to seek a little bit more of that silence. How is it that you seek silence with God? I've shared it with a few of you that I have a dream for the largest structure on our church property that we didn't build that huge oak tree that is just outside of our fellowship hall stretches its arms so far that they actually touch the ground on the outer edges, I suppose, of the root circle of that tree. It is a wonderful tree. And we have parked underneath it right now 
all miscellaneous kind of stuff to take care of our church lawn. You may not have even known that it was there. The reason that we've got it parked there is because Pittman Park United Methodist Church does not own a storage building. Somebody change this soon. <laughs> you go under the canopy of that tree and you enter a very soft and silent place that has a reverence to it. And it is my dream that around the trunk of that tree there would be, and I don't know how we would do this, but there would be some kind of a bench upon which persons that come under that tree could just sit and be quiet. I think it might even be rivaling the chapel in terms of popularity with the <coughs> students and with others that will hear about it in town. What I envision is that still under the branches of that tree and leading toward the center of that trunk, that there would be a labyrinth. Do you know what a labyrinth is? A labyrinth looks like a maze, but a maze is confusing because there's so many different places where you can get lost. A labyrinth only has one path. It leads to the center and it is an opportunity to be with God in prayer. I envision that we would have a beautiful labyrinth under the arms of that tree. Where we're going to put that stuff, I don't know. But I seek a place of silence in my life and I pray for a silence for all of us that we might know God's presence. God moves Job out of his endless cycle of grief into a place of silence because this is the very nature of God to redeem life in this way. In fact, wasn't it in Christ that God was reconciling the world to himself. Do you think that anyone stood on the hill looking down at the situation of our Lord's crucifixion and was talking? I guarantee you that all who looked on that scene who knew Christ were speechless at what was going on. Do you think that the disciples in that upper room as they waited were chatty as they waited upon the gift of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, they were formed in a deep silence in prayer. God comes to participate in our humanity. He enters even our suffering. And this is what Job could not it's straight in his mind and certainly not in his heart. But you and I claim with all of our being that God is with us. In fact, in just a few short weeks, we will be speaking this name 
so defined throughout Advent and up until Christmas and saying, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. Do you sense him today? Or is there too much going on? Is the chatter too hard to stop? God gives us this gift, the gift of silence, that we may know him.